0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and
1: welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. As we have talked many, many times on this program, North Carolina is an interesting state because we have some areas of the state that are just booming. The uh, the, uh, Triad area, the Triangle area, the Charlotte area, Greenville, Asheville. And then we have the other 80 or so counties that uh, are not growing as rapidly and face more economic challenges than those that are growing so rapidly and yet uh, because we are in the same state they are very important to the economy and uh, for that reason we have invited Patrick Woody to be with us Patrick is the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center and that is the organization that is working with these these counties that are uh, i guess uh, challenged, maybe a little bit more than the the booming counties of Wake and Durham and Guilford and Mecklenburg and so forth. Uh, so, Patrick, welcome back to the program. You've been with us a number of times. Uh, how about uh, first, before we get too much further, talk about a little bit about the history of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center uh, and uh, its origins and its purpose.
2: Sure. Thank you so much. And it's great to be back with you again, Happy New Year. Um, uh, it, the Rural Center has, uh, in fact, in just a few days on January 7th of, of 2024, the Rural Center will turn um, 37 years old. So we've been around since 1987, our doors opened. Uh, we came about as a result of the North Carolina Jobs Commission who traveled around the state listening to uh, citizens and their number one recommendation was there should be an organization in the state of North Carolina that was exclusively focused on rural issues and rural economic development. And a few months after that, the Rural Center opened our, our doors in 1987. And so over those 37 years, we've seen a huge um, amount of change in this state. As you know, we were a state of about six and a half million people. Um, in 1987, uh, about 58% of them lived in rural uh, North Carolina. So clearly a majority of the population of the state at that time w- uh, were rural citizens. Uh, fast forward to today, we're a state of 10 and a half million people and growing. And we're at a real interesting time where uh, about 36% of our citizens live in rural North Carolina. About 35% of our citizens live in six urban, uh, predominantly uh, very urban counties, and um, about uh, 29% of our population uh, live in um, um, 17 suburban counties.
1: Well, as uh, as we said, uh, it has been a period of tremendous growth for North Carolina, but um Uh, we are uh, now looking at uh, what can we do for these other areas because we want to spread the prosperity. And uh, that is exactly what your organization is charged with. So basically, uh, it's uh, somewhere around uh, 75 uh, uh, counties. uh, How many counties do you actually consider to be a part of the rural area?
2: Yeah, we count 78 North Carolina counties as being rural counties. And our definition of a rural county is a, a, a county with a population density of less than 250 people per square mile. So that's now 78 North Carolina counties. That's down from 80 uh, in the previous decade. So our, our state is changing a lot and, and, and the, mm-hmm. the rural counties that adjoin our urban suburban metropolitan counties are the are the counties in north carolina that are actually growing the fastest and we had two counties in the decade between 2010 and 2020 uh onslow where the city of jacksonville is located and also johnston county just east of raleigh and wake county those two counties moved from the rural category to the suburban category
1: now um these 78 counties how many of these uh uh, actually, have lost population during that period of time since 1987.
2: Yeah, about half of our our counties lost population, and all and, and but in a lot of them, it was a pretty slight loss. Concentrated loss in about 19 or 20 counties. Um, and the good news uh, following COVID, and sometimes we have to look hard for good news. But the, the good news is in each of the last two years the rural population in North Carolina has grown. Uh, it's it's less than a percent growth in each year, but that's after uh, a couple of decades of a of, of population decline. So we're very much watching that. We think it is a post-COVID trend. Um, as you know, and, and as we all experience, people everywhere are rethinking how they live their life and and where they want to live it and what that um, um, work-life balance is. And a number of people clearly are deciding to make a move to a less populated area. And some of our rural communities are benefiting from that trend. And that's pretty exciting.
1: Well, I guess uh, all uh, colleges and universities have a fight song or an albumata. I guess your fight song or your albumata would be, how are you going to keep them up down on the farm where they've seen gay pay re?
2: <laughs> well, you know, and if you look at the world as a whole, if you look at the entire globe, I mean, there's been a, a trend toward urbanization that, you know, we, that goes, uh, through, you know, that runs back over the, the decades, if not centuries. I don't think that trend's going to change. You know, there is a concentration of economic activity in larger, more densely populated places. And that's gonna continue to attract people. But I do think uh, that growth uh, and that trend may slow down a little bit. It's gonna benefit some rural places. I think we're getting into more of an equilibrium uh, at this point, particularly in North Carolina. And I think we're pretty fortunate um, that that North Carolina has developed the way it is because it, it allows our rural areas to be in closer proximity to uh, metropolitan places than they are in a lot of our um, uh, uh, other, you know, states that are still very rural, but don't have the metropolitan corridors that the state of North Carolina has. So we're pretty blessed with with the way the state has developed over the years.
1: Well, it's. Uh, uh... One of the interesting things I guess that we need to watch is the ring of counties around the uh, urban counties that are growing. Uh, oh yeah, because those are the uh, transitional counties that we need to watch. How many of those actually exist?
2: Yeah, there's quite a there's a that is very much something that we're watching. And a couple of areas that I would uh, just point out and call to your attention that clearly are growing and the counties around the urban centers are clearly changing and being affected by that growth. Uh, one example is Wilmington experiencing a lot of growth. And if you look at the, uh, the surrounding counties of Pender, uh, Onslow a little bit to the north and Brunswick counties, uh, Brunswick is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. Uh, it is the fastest growing county in the state of North Carolina, Pender's not far behind. And, you know, historically, those are very rural counties that are um, changing. Their nature is changing tremendously. If you look at the Triangle area around Raleigh, and we're expected to add another two million people to the Triangle um, area between now and 2050. And that's going to have a profound effect on, on places like um, Nash County, Rocky Mount, Wilson, Wilson County, Harnett County. Uh, we already are, are feeling, feeling it as far away as Wayne County and Goldsboro. You know, those places are not nearly as far from the triangle as they used to be as, as, um, the, the triangle continues to, to expand another region that we're really watching because of the, the number of really, um, significant and strategically significant, um, new industry announcements that have occurred uh, south of the triangle south of the triad in um randolph county uh chatham county harnett county lee county that those counties that sit just below the piedmont triad and and the triangle um a tremendous amount of investment and job growth is occurring there those communities are grappling with uh, a pretty rapid pace of change uh, it's exciting. It's also challenging. And that's another region we're going to watch closely. And, and we're going to see some significant changes in um, in those counties that I've mentioned in particular.
1: So if you uh, add those counties up, uh, the so-called transitional counties, uh, I would guess that uh, probably in another 10 years, you'll be looking at maybe uh, 50, 50 counties, 50 counties that are growing in 50 counties that uh, are, are, are challenged?
2: Um, you, you know, I think the way I think about it, about of our 78 rural counties, about 30 of them are part of a metropolitan statistical area. So those 30 counties have uh, populations or have economies that are already really interconnected with the larger metropolitan county around them. And I think we can feel really good about um, the economic progress that those places are going to see and and are seeing. Um, It is the more isolated parts of the state, the I-95 corridor, um, some places in Western North Carolina that are more geographically isolated from those um, MSAs or metropolitan statistical areas, I think are the places to watch but a number of them are high amenity, high tourism counties, very attractive to retirees that are moving to the state. Um, and, and their economic future is going to look pretty bright. A number of those counties have also been successful in diversifying their local economy uh, so that they, they don't, as, as we say, uh, have all your eggs in one basket in economic development. You want that economy to be as diversified as it is. And even among those more isolated rural counties, there's a number of places that are being very successful in diversifying their economy. Um, I do worry about the concentrated loss of population. Some of it, I think, um, climate or weather related in, in eastern North Carolina that, you know, I think the state and all of us are going to need to pay particular attention to as we move forward.
1: Well, there's several other uh, things that are changing. Uh, broadband, which we will spend a good bit of time talking about in later segments of this program, because yes, that is very important. And of course, transportation of how do people get from uh, the surrounding counties into the metropolitan counties? We want to quiz you about uh, how the state of North Carolina is planning in those areas to uh, accommodate those who want to live just outside of the area and yet uh, their work might require them to move in uh, that uh, we've got all sorts of things on the agenda to talk to you about our guest is Patrick Woody he's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center and uh, we're going to take a break and
3: when we come back uh, we'll get to some of those other topics right now let's stop for these messages they are our cuddlers and co-workers per machines and love bugs and constant companions They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets, and the pets who love their people. Ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together. And you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there is nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Patrick Woody, who's president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And uh, Patrick, uh, you, uh, of course, came from one of those counties that is designated as rural, and that gives you sort of a a hands-on experience of knowing exactly what uh, kind of problems those folks have. You served as the executive director of the uh, Allegheny County chamber of commerce and for those p- folks who are uh uh say geographically challenged uh <laughs> what is the principal city in allegheny county so they can de- identify where it is
2: it is the town of sparta it's in the high country on the virginia border about 73 miles northwest of winston-salem
1: but that did give you uh, a good uh background for the jobs that you're now in
2: oh it absolutely did i i think it um You know, I I had a perspective as a local chamber director. I also served a term as a county commissioner in my home county. And I wouldn't take anything for that experience because I think it really has allowed me to understand what makes uh, rural places unique. Um, And, and, you know, as we have a saying at the rural center, when you've seen one rural county, you've seen one rural county. They're all different. They're all unique in a lot of ways. They do have some common characteristics and we know we always have to pay attention to leadership and making sure we're cultivating and bringing along, uh, taking care of our future leaders, but also thinking about the next generation of leadership and where it's coming from. We are always thinking about how, how do we build capacity within our businesses, within our nonprofits, within our local governments, so that we can actually meet the needs of the, of the people that uh, are being served. And we've got to think about how do we come together for economies of scale, so that we can sustain the activities that we need to, to, you know, to to keep a healthy population and a good quality of life, and a and a good strong economy. And those are three things that you really can never stop worrying about in rural places. You
1: know, this is a there's a sort of a common theme to all of our programs of the last year. No matter who the guest is, we usually end up asking this question because it uh, the event that i'm getting ready to talk about did change a lot of things including the way we operate and i'm talking about the covid-19 situation so yeah. how did the covid-19 situation change uh not only rural north carolina but your organization
2: well um yeah that's a gr- that is a great question uh and i everybody i talk to and every time i'm with my my colleagues and my counterparts at other organizations this this is a primary topic of our of our um, of our conversation, because in many ways, uh, the last several years have really changed everything about life and, and the world as we understand it. And, and, and it's you know, brought about a lot of, um, um, you know, one thing that's a, that is a certainty is change. And we know change is going to occur. But I think with covid, the pace of change has increased almost exponentially. Um, And certainly that's something we've grappled with as an organization. And it's something that communities are also having to figure out. COVID pointed out many of the disparities that exist uh, that are particularly challenged to rural communities. Certainly those healthcare disparities and a lot of that is because rural has an older population, so therefore it's a more vulnerable population. And we certainly see that in the statistics after COVID. The death rate in rural counties from COVID was about double what the death rate was in urban counties. And you know that's you know that, that's something that really um, gets your attention and stands out to you. And again, a lot of that has to do with the characteristics of the population that that lives in 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 rural. Um, parts of our state. For us as an organization, I think it accelerated our pace of change, just like with natural disasters or in times of economic downturn and recession, we find at the rural center that we get busier uh, instead of slowing down. So when the economy is troubled, when people are having trouble, we tend to, uh, it's a time when we tend to get a lot busier and do more to try to respond to that. That certainly was the case um, in the COVID years and in this uh, the last couple of years following the the worst part of the pandemic. Uh, And one thing we've had to do is really accelerate the pace of integrating technology into how we make small business loans and how we run the various programs of the North Carolina Rural Center. Um, And fortunately, we were far enough along that technology curve that we could go all remote and still operate loan programs from intake to funding uh, loans to small businesses uh, completely remotely. And if COVID had happened a year or two years before it did, we wouldn't have quite been to that place. And yet it's, uh, it's been a very challenging time. It's been a challenging time for um, our workforce and for every person I know. Um, and it, it, it is a time of reflection, I think, when people consider just uh, what is that work-life balance? How do they want to live their life? Where do they want to live their life? And that's where we find, I think, the silver lining of COVID that might benefit rural places um, as people begin to consider living and working in a remote environment uh, where they have the technology they need. They have a healthcare system that will meet their needs and educational systems that will meet their needs, that they can live in a less densely populated area and still have a high quality of life.
1: Well, it's uh, certainly challenging. Uh, one of the problems that uh, that uh, I see, especially in eastern North Carolina, where the towns and communities have existed for a long, probably ten to fifteen, maybe thirty years longer than those in the western part of the state, is yeah. the infrastructure—the water and sewer systems are uh, yes. beginning to wear out. Where's the funding for this going to come from?
2: Well, another you know uh, good news about about the pandemic is brought us an unprecedented amount of federal and state dollars that are focused on, you know, economic recovery and addressing some of the uh, um, some of the major issues that the Rural Center advocates the hardest on, and you've touched on one of them uh, in water and sewer infrastructure. Um, I, I think the last time the, the state projected the, the water and wastewater needs of our state, looking forward to 2030, that... Um, I believe 2030s, right? That was a the, the total needs was about 17 billion dollars that needs to be invested. Um, what I worry about are those little communities, and and you mentioned Eastern North Carolina. You know, Eastern North Carolina has a lot of small and very small towns, and most of them operate water and or wastewater systems that deliver clean water and safe disposal of waste to their citizens. Um, and that infrastructure is at the end of its lifetime. A lot of times that infrastructure was, was uh, built in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in the previous century. Um, and it was built in an economy that no longer exists. Uh, so um, the dynamics of what um, provides revenue to those communities to maintain and ultimately replace aging infrastructure Um, uh, the dynamics of that have really been undermined by the economic changes we've seen over the last two to three decades. And it's a, it's a challenging time. It's something that I really worry about. One of the ways that we will deal with this is through the regionalization of water and wastewater systems. And the more that we can get these small towns integrated into a more regional system is the way we will reach economies of scale that will make the delivery of clean water and and safely disposing of waste um, a um, an economically sustainable proposition in in some parts of our state.
1: Well, it's interesting that uh, the growth counties have exactly the opposite problem because they've got to build new infrastructure. That's right to accommodate the growth, and so there's going and to be a stress to on the entire the state budget as far as infrastructure.
2: Oh, it's it's huge. And, and it's across every infrastructure category. Um, it, you know, it really is. Uh, transportation needs of this state is also another huge issue. Broadband, it's more a rural problem than it is an urban or suburban problem. But there are pockets of urban and suburban places that don't have the infrastructure um, they need. The good news coming out of COVID is that the dollars are in place that can Um, If if the programs work as they should, and and that's something we pay really close attention to, uh, we've put the funding in place that will largely address our our broadband infrastructure challenges. We'll still have challenges with getting people uh, comfortable with using that technology understanding how that technology improves their lives and their quality of life. uh, But the infrastructure, at least, is beginning to get to the places that have needed it the most.
1: Uh, we, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, um, the problems. I know you've got a small business policy task force that you're working with.
2: Yeah, we, uh, actually during the height of the pandemic, we put together a small business task force, very diverse group of business owners, and also, um, the, the major organizations in the state that serve our small business community. And, um, because we knew COVID was a a time where we were really worried about businesses being able to sustain themselves until the pandemic was over and things returned to more of a normal situation. And we really wanted to be out front and advocating for our smaller businesses, small business, less than a hundred employees, less than 50. And even those very small, less than 10 employees are, are, um, more important in our rural areas than they are in other parts of the state, but small business is vital to the entire state of North Carolina. So we put together a statewide policy agenda focused on how do we support our really small businesses and make sure that they have the things they're gonna need to grow. grow. We do a great job in this state of, of recruiting industry and bringing in new investment and jobs but sometimes policymakers can um, can lose sight of the fact that the, the most jobs will be created by supporting the businesses that are already in our community, and so that task force was very much a, 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 of a mindset of how do we su- how do we support our smallest businesses and and helping startups be successful as they get started and growing, and we believe the way you do that is by providing really robust access to capital. And, and there's a number of programs that we operate that are all about capital access, helping uh, business owners develop uh, their, their networks that help them really sustain and grow the, the business over time. And also making sure they have the coaching and the access to the resources that are gonna enable their growth.
1: Well, all businesses start with, guess what? One person. One person. <laughs> and yep. uh, they, grow, they grow from there. Now, so how would, uh, if you have a idea for a business, or if you are already in business and want to grow, how do they access this help from you? Who do, how do they contact you?
2: Yeah, they can go to our website, ncruralcenter.org. We also have a, a subsidiary that does direct lending to small businesses called Thread Capital. So threadcapital.org, and they can actually uh, fill out an application there. If they're looking for a small business loan, they can actually go there and actually start an application um, with our uh, with our staff. Um, and uh, and the the other easy place for them to go is to the small business center at their local community college. They do a great job.
1: Uh, how about repeating those names one more time, because uh, that way people will know how to get in touch with them on the
2: Internet. Yeah, It's Thread Capital at thread capital, uh, dot org. It's um, um, that is dot .org. Dot, dot .org. Uh, and also the Small Business Center Network. Um, and they can just go to their local community college. Every community college has a small business center located there.
1: Our guest is Patrick Woody and we'll have more right after these messages.
3: When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party? You planned it with such dedication that, instead of the first, it felt like our kinses. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit. And make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan
0: you can make.
3: Get started at ready.gov slash plan.
0: Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Watch out!
1: You got me! The galaxy is safe once again.
0: In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we're focusing on the economic situation in the state of North Carolina. We've talked uh, a great deal about the uh, challenges that um, 75 counties have that are not a part of the real growth areas of the state that would include the uh, uh, Piedmont Crescent and Greenville and Asheville areas and Wilmington areas. Uh, A couple of things that are kind of interesting to me right now is the fact that uh, North Carolina seems to be a place where a lot of retirees are looking now where are they locating
2: yeah so we are a very attractive state to people that are um thinking about where they want to retire to and many of them are are coming to north carolina uh we see it all across the western mountains of our state i think many of, of most all of those counties have a pretty strong second home ownership um segment they, and, and also uh, retirees that are, that are moving in to retire. Our coastal communities also are seeing that. Uh, I'm sure we experience it in, in, in other parts of the state, including in our urban areas, but we see a lot of it from a rural perspective across uh, the Western mountains of our state, uh, the foothills and the coastal um, communities.
1: And because we have such important military presence in the state, we are seeing a lot of retired military people coming back to North Carolina who served here at one time or another,
2: and a lot of military people that come out of the military and want to stay in North Carolina. You know, we have the largest concentration of military um, uh, any place in the country except for you know the Northern Virginia Pentagon area, Um, and we sometimes forget how important and how vital that sector is to our economy uh, And you know as we look forward, we have a, a real workforce challenge in our state in terms of making sure we have enough workers to fill the jobs that are being created because we've been so good at growing businesses and bringing new businesses in and veterans um, people former military people that are still in the workforce uh, but past their military service, are a really important part of that future workforce um, that industry is particularly um, eager for. We're well positioned to take advantage of, of, of that being um, uh, one of our strategies for making sure we meet the wel- the workforce challenges going forward. The other thing we've really got to do as a state is regardless of veteran or, or not non-veteran, all of us have to uh, think about uh, the reality that we live in a world where we all must be lifelong learners. chances are we're going to change jobs multiple times across our working careers unlike you know a couple of generations looking back where like my parents you know spent 30 to 40 years in, in, a, in at one in, in one job in with one employer those days are largely gone and um, we've got to be thinking about, lifelong learning and every citizen regardless of how old they are uh, we need to be thinking about how do we get them to the highest levels of educational attainment that we can get them to
1: we uh, alluded to this earlier but one of the problems that the state is going to have as far as budgets and needing funds is in the area of transportation of course the growth areas have a problem because they are going to have many more cars many more uh people trying to access transportation and uh, the uh, building roads in those areas is quite expensive right but uh, for those uh 75 or so counties that are um, in this uh, area that you are serving transportation is awfully important where do we stand on that happy what uh is the state holding uh its own as far as building new roads and providing the transportation that will help these uh 60 to 75 counties continue to grow
2: well i think we've made some real progress there's a lot of work to do and i'd say you know we got a lot of catching up to do um we've got to figure out um, new funding streams new revenue streams for transportation as we look to the future particularly as more and more of our vehicles on the road are electric vehicles and and not gas powered we still have a revenue structure that is very dependent upon uh, a, a gas tax that is declining in terms of what it collects every year. And that's and we know that we're gonna to continue to see that. So we've got to address the revenue side of transportation. When it comes to the projects themselves, I think the state has done, uh, we've done a good job of getting major transportation corridors that reach into all parts of our state um, seeing those those corridors upgraded many of them going from former u.s highway status to future interstate quality status that's incredibly important when we think about future i-87 from raleigh to norfolk um and we think about 74 from charlotte to to uh myrtle beach uh that runs across the southeastern north carolina um I-74, I-73, a number of those uh, just incredibly important corridors in terms of connecting people to work, um, to, um, you know, the metropolitan areas to each other. And they're running across uh, the most rural parts of our state, and, and that's going to be a big help. The other transportation concern for rural communities is safety and maintenance. Uh, We we built roads for a long time in this state and uh, we built bridges for a long time. And many of them, just like our water and sewer, are at the end of their lifespan. They're going to need to be replaced. Uh, And that's and that's a really more of a concern in a lot of our rural communities than, um, you know, the new road building is just making sure that we have safe and uh, modern uh, roads and bridges uh, serving our rural communities. Another aspect that's really exciting is the recent announcement of the development of the S Line that eventually will provide high-speed rail from uh, Raleigh to Washington D.C., running through um, Upper Eastern North Carolina up to to Richmond. Uh, it also is going to provide a. Uh, it's going to make um, the triangle and Richmond um, a lot closer to a lot of rural citizens in both states, in North Carolina and Virginia. It's going to enable us to move quicker between point A and point B, and that's vitally important. And I don't know that we really fully understand just how important that's going to be as roads are are very crowded, uh, more crowded than they probably um, ever been i know when i travel back home to allegheny county i can tell a difference in traffic in the last couple of years and and you know the the slow times that i used to pick to travel aren't so slow anymore um but it's a big issue facing our state and uh it's a it's a issue that um has a, a real rural dimension to it that that we've got to think about
1: we've got uh uh, we had I had very high hopes for the uh, the uh, airport system that was built uh, and has been built in, in Kingston. Of yes. course, there's another one about the same size. It has about the same potential uh, in uh, my hometown, former hometown of Lorenburg in Scotland County. Uh, th- those uh, seem to be developing slower than I thought. Bring us up to date on uh, what you think uh, the prospects of those facilities adding to the growth in those areas?
2: Well, I actually think that's a pretty encouraging picture. Um, we're, we've seen a lot of investment in upgrading a number of those small airports, many of them uh located in rural communities. Also, those, those smaller airports that are um, closely um, located, for example, the, the airport in Sanford Um, the uh, in particular is distinguishing it. it, They're able to take that smaller plane traffic away from RDU airport. There there's the airport in Stanley County, Albemarle, for example, is able to take some traffic away from the Charlotte Douglas airport. And that just um, alleviates some of the pressure on those large um, aviation hubs. Um, It is great. You know, if, if planes are, are based Uh, They get taxed where those planes are, where their home base is, and that's a, um, a, a very good tax base for a number of our rural communities. But I think we can be pretty encouraged with the amount of investment that's happened at some of those smaller airports over the last five, six years. We've seen some significant lengthening of runways. Um, you know, uh, adding additional amenities to some of those places. And some of them are really strategically well located to do quite well.
1: Well, of course, one of the concerns that industry always has when they look in, especially some industries that require a lot of water, uh, are in pretty good shape as far as water.
2: Yeah, I believe we are. You know, we're blessed in North Carolina. We are a water rich state. We've never had to worry too much about water shortages. We do have, you know, we have certainly had periods of drought at times that have, um, that, that do cause problems. We've done a lot to address that, um, through interconnecting systems so that we can actually move water around, um, when, um, when we face times when when water tables start running low. But we're a water rich state. That doesn't mean we always will be. Um, it's a resource we need to protect and we need to to guard really closely and, and take care of. It's interesting in the way our state developed is that the people have where people have grown is not necessarily where the water is located. Um, and so you know a lot of our urban areas are at the headwaters of some of our uh, uh, major water uh, basins and, and so that's something we've also got to be mindful of um, i think we'll in the future we'll probably see issues that we'll need to address around interbasin transfers um, tr- transferring water out of one river basin to another uh, to balance um, out supply and, and demand and what are the rules? I mean, that can get really messy really quick, and it's things we're going to have to grapple with as we look to the future.
1: Uh, the, uh, I guess one of the questions I want to ask you about is the population drain and how do you keep young people uh, and attract uh, leadership to the rural counties, especially some of the, uh, say, the 20 smallest counties in the state? Yeah. That's got to be a serious problem.
2: It's a it's a challenge, and I I think what you got to do is really number one, those counties have got to be really able to understand what their what their local assets are because every community, no matter how small, no matter how economically distressed, they have assets, and it is those assets you build upon those, and and that's what you know enables you to um, to grow and and move forward. And th- those communities don't aspire to be um a major urban center that's not their aspiration that's not what the people who live there want and i guarantee you the people that live there love their place uh and they love it more than any other place on this earth that's why i used to have a lot of people that would come up to me and say and i'd always ask people where they're from or where they grew up and a lot of them would say oh you've never heard of my hometown it's in the middle of nowhere And I've gotten in the habit of always telling people, no, it's not the middle of nowhere. It's the center of the universe for you and for the people that live there. And that's how important that place is to the people that live there. Um, What we've got to do in those, uh, those places that face those challenges of population drain is make sure that we understand what the local job opportunities are. And we've got job opportunities no matter where you are in this state. Uh, we need school teachers. We need healthcare professionals at all levels, from the most advanced uh, to, you know, um, to um, entry-level healthcare positions. Uh, we've got um, a need for the trades, uh, and there's really good businesses to be built uh, in the trades, um, even in the most rural parts of the state. And we really need to understand what those opportunities are. We're so fortunate to have the North Carolina Community College system in this state because everybody, no matter where they live, is in pretty close proximity to a community college, and they're going to be vitally important to these small rural communities.
1: Great time to break, uh, Patrick, uh, and we're going to shift to some other topics in our final segment. Patrick Woody, president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, is our guest. We have one final segment. We're going to focus on health care and some other uh, situations right after we take time out for these messages.
0: Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full-time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost 6 million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military
3: veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
2: Don't you wish your life came with a warning app?
3: Stop. That dog does not want to be petted.
2: (laughs) A heads up before something bad happens.
3: You should not send that text.
2: Uh Uh-oh.
0: Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse pre-diabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We're focusing on the economic growth situations of the uh, roughly 75 counties that fall outside the fastest growing 25 counties of North Carolina. Patrick Woody is our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, and that is exactly what that organization is uh, charged with as far as uh, providing leadership. Uh, One thing we want to get out of the way before I forget, and this is according to Bill Holmes, who works with you, we did perhaps give you the wrong email address for one of the uh, help, uh, uh, so, uh, help organizations. So let's get that out of the way right now.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Thread Capital is, is, uh, the lending subsidiary of the North Carolina Rural Center that does direct loans to sm- to small businesses. And I incorrectly stated our, um, uh, our website address, please go to threadcap.org.
1: threadcap.org. dot org. Thank you. And, uh, Bill, uh, Thank you for calling that to our attention. Um, uh, we want to talk about health care because this is a major concern uh, of those who are living in some of the more rural counties. Uh, broadband uh, might provide some relief in that area because uh, when you have broadband, you have more access to health professionals in other areas. So broadband and health care may go hand in hand in many respects.
2: They certainly do, and as we look to the future, that's going to be even more the case. Um, broadband infrastructure is essential to a lot of things. It's essential to us being able to educate ourselves, being able to take care of our healthcare needs, um, and also t- if you're going to start and grow a small business, you're going to need access to broadband infrastructure. Uh, but when it comes to um, um, to healthcare, you know, rural communities. Uh, we face unique challenges we're an older population significantly older uh, than the than the population of our urban and suburban counties um, and we have to be mindful of that uh, we um, y- you know we need to think about the health of our health care delivery systems in rural areas and proximity to hospitals we have um, medical deserts uh, that affect in uh, some there are actually all 100 counties of the state of North Carolina have medical shortages in one in some category of medical professionals. Uh, in, a, in a rural communities, we have multiple categories of medical professionals where we have a shortage of providers. And so uh, those are job opportunities. Those are future career opportunities for the young people living there. Um, but th- that that will be um, that will be a challenge.
1: You mentioned earlier the importance of the community college system, but also the university system is also providing a lot of aid and assistance to rural counties through their research.
2: Absolutely. And uh, you know, we're excited about um, the um, uh, you know, how uh, you know five of those sixteen public university campuses are are truly, rural, uh, universities. Uh, some of those have, have been growing quite well and, and, um, uh, and doing quite well. Um, we're really proud of the work they do. I would also say, you know, we're blessed in this state. We have a pretty broad network of independent colleges and universities that also have a pretty big rural footprint, uh, at some of those, uh, small private colleges and universities and collectively all of them together position this state very well um, because no matter where you live, you're in close proximity to a community college or to one of those um, uh, public or, or private universities.
1: I'm going to jump back to health care one more time and ask the question, what do you think the real solution is to providing great health care in the most remote areas of the state? Uh, broadband, of course, certainly is one. Are there other programs that you're working on?
2: Well, the most significant one that's happening right now is Medicaid expansion uh, and the rollout of of that. Uh, As I understand it, it's, you know, it began December 1st. uh, The General Assembly um, and the the governor and and everybody got on board with Medicaid expansion. That opens up uh, the possibility of health care to about 600,000. North Carolinians that um, are uninsured, that'll be able to access uh, Medicaid um, and the sign up is I understand it, it's going quite, quite well, just getting to, uh, to the decision to expand Medicaid is only part of the battle. The, 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 the battle now is, is twofold one. Um, it's making sure that the people who are eligible know they're eligible and actually get signed up and take advantage of that uh, because it's really important. It, it will save tons of money in the future. The better people take care of themselves and the younger uh, they are when they start uh, taking care of themselves and then maintaining that across a lifetime. Uh, and so we want to make sure and we, we have the ability to look at uh, on a county by county basis. Where do we have eligible people? Where are they signing up? Where are they not signing up? And, be, and to be able to um, shift resources to make sure we're getting people signed up. And my hat really is off to Secretary Kinsley and the job he's doing at DHHS uh, and the leadership that him and his team is providing in getting us up to speed as rapidly and as efficiently as we possibly can. The second big part of the challenge is that workforce challenge. We've got to attract uh, future workers into the healthcare space um, and uh, in in virtually any category you wanna talk about and supporting um, uh, our institutions of higher learning uh, in expanding and and taking on more students and, and training more students. And being able to do that is vitally important, as well as making sure that the students are moving into those careers and those pipelines and understand the opportunities that exist there, um, because we we face some real provider challenges in in um, in virtually every rural county in the state. Now
1: I understand that uh, also the Medicaid expansion may have uh, an uh, help for some of the smaller hospitals that. We're facing closing. In fact, even some that did close because There's, now they will have additional funds coming in.
2: There is no question. One of the greatest challenges uh, and the reason for many rural hospitals closing down across the country. We it is not the the amount of charitable care that has been delivered through our rural hot. Well, every hospital, but you know, particularly our rural hospitals. Uh, who take care of people that come through their door because they, they need health care uh, and aren't able to pay for it, that, that volume over the, the last several years has been growing. It's not sustainable. Medicaid expansion absolutely helps address that immediately, Will uh, be, begins to make that easier and makes it less likely that we will lose other rural hospitals. And, and let me just say, of, of those 600,000 uninsured in North Carolina, that number is disproportionately rural people. And um, and that's another reason why the decision to expand Medicaid was so important to rural North Carolina.
1: Well, all, all of the things that we're talking about, uh, eventually the solutions come down to funding. So let's turn now to your legislative priorities, maybe a touch on some of the things that occurred in the last session, but things that you're looking forward to as far as uh, new programs or new funding aspects that may help uh, existing programs.
2: Well, in, in, we've uh, on all the issues we've talked about, we, uh, you know, from broadband infrastructure, transportation, water and sewer, um, housing is one we haven't talked too much about, but is another major um, category. You know, we've got in place really robust funding streams because of um, uh, ARPA and and other um, uh, funding that's come through the legislature and from the federal government. We have unprecedented amounts of of kind of money flowing through the systems that's going to build those, those types of infrastructure. And the biggest concern we have is making sure they're working for smaller places because we know that that uh, getting uh, the getting that those dollars to the smallest of places in the state is the biggest challenge that we will have. That'll be the hardest part of the work. And that's the part we're going to be really focused on. is making sure that that funding and those programs are working for the smallest communities in the state. So that's our our big priority is is seeing what tweaking needs to be done um, in those funding categories, uh, particularly the infrastructure funding categories. We're continuing to really beat the drum of our small business policy agenda, and we have some work to continue doing on that. We want to make sure that business owners that are borrowing money. Uh, are able to play on a level playing field. We think it's only fair and reasonable that a small business owner that is taking out a loan, that they are able to understand the cost of of, of the capital that they are borrowing and that that is uh, disclosed. Um, and that's one of our priorities is a bill that would make sure that non-regulated lenders have to uh, uh, disclose the annual percentage um uh, rate, uh, of loans to small business owners. We think that is, a. Uh, 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 we've seen some really egregious situations around small business loans, uh, often hitting business owners when they are most vulnerable, um, with, um, with, with pricing that is not, that is not clear to the, to the business owner themselves. Um, so that's kind of what you know we're we're looking at a short session so this short session year is a year where we go back out to north carolina rural north carolina we talk to leadership we have conversations and we'll be looking at building our our um advocacy agenda for the long session that'll start in january of 2025 so it's really it's a period of uh checking in, um, and making sure we understand what the priorities of rural North Carolina is and making sure we're ready to go to work to make those things happen.
1: Well, one of the, the things that I'm hearing from economists is that we can probably expect some easing in interest rates, uh, during the next year, probably not quite as rapid <laughs> as a lot of us would like to have, but, uh, at least, uh, some, uh, opportunity there. And of course, as we have often said, uh, the support of the legislature is so important, but generally speaking, it seems to me the legislature understands that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and helping the small markets is very important to them. I think so.
2: I think that is. I think that is an accurate statement. You know, I think the priorities in terms of how they they could have done a lot of things, and uh, and a lot of states, I think, have made some bad decisions with how they've used one-time federal. Money, But I think our state has done a really good job of of picking the priorities of how they want to spend that that funding. And I think it's going to make a big difference for rural North Carolina.
1: Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. Patrick Woody, president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. You can find out more information about that organization online. Uh, Our program, of course, has been produced, as always, by Jason Kong, a new father, we might add. Uh, so congratulations to, to Jason. And uh, he, of course, has promised me that he will have another guest for us next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And hear the entire broadcasts or selected portions thereof. We will look forward to being back with you next week. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good time.